The following is a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org. We want to welcome you to this worship. We especially welcome you if you are here for the first time. I hope you feel what God is doing in this amazing church. We welcome those listening on podcast today uh, from New York. A young man who used to go to this church who is now living in New York wrote me this email. Dear Graham, just wanted to wish you good luck today. I will be listening tomorrow on podcast. This is how I start every morning now. I use your podcast and Highlands Church to help me focus for the rest of my day writing from New York, Rochester, New York. Uh, We also say hi to those listening from Edmond, Oklahoma today. We welcome you to this church. What I want to begin today, this is a wonderful time to start. We're talking about moving mountains over the next five and six weeks. And that will lead us right up to the time of Lent. Moving mountains is a series we're talking about. It is not a how-to series. I love how-to series, how to do this, how to do that. These mountains that I'm going to be talking about, we can't move on our own. We have a lot of situations in our lives that are way too big for us to handle on our own. And these are times that we need to go to God. And so we're going to be taking a look at about five or six of these mountains. just want to show you where we're going, the mountains we're going to be addressing. Um, next week, we're looking at moving mountains of isolation. That is, most people are lonely. If you're lonely in your life, this is about moving those mountains towards community in our hearts. The next week, starting with the Dave Ramsey series, we're going to be looking at moving mountains of debt when your credit card is too big for you to pay off. And we're going to talk about not a how-to series here, but a spiritual act of working through that mountain of debt. Then we're going to get a reminder on how Highlands is doing on its mission. We are a mission, not just a church. And then on the 12th, we're going to look at moving mountains of unhealthy personal rituals. We all have them. All of us have rituals that are unhealthy. We're going to take a look at moving those mountains. And then finally, on the 19th, right before Lent, we're going to take a look at moving mountains of personal doubt about God in ourselves and others. And we're going to talk about how to do that. Today, what I want to talk about, however, though, is moving the mountains of forgiveness, loving those we struggle with. I want to begin this message by asking you to think about somebody in your life who you really struggle with. Now, that person may be sitting next to you, and if that is the case, would you just give them a big nudge? (laughs) Hopefully it's not. Don't do that. We all have people in our lives that we struggle with, that we are agitated by. And it's funny, as I've asked you to look at and think about the people that you struggle with, I've seen your faces, they've gotten more frowned, your back muscles have tightened up, and the stress level in this room has gone way up. And I want you to know that even pastors have people that we struggle with. I got an email about a month ago from a pastor, a friend of mine, or I thought a friend, who wrote me an email, and I was really excited to see that email. And so I opened it up expecting it to say, Dear Graham, or Hi Graham, or Hey Buddy Old Pal, or something like that. And it began with this, Graham colon. Now I don't know about you, but I have never opened an email that began with my name and a colon that had anything good that came after it. (laughs) So I opened up the email, and sure enough, it was not good. It was a whole series of really kind of negative things that this person had to say to me, a person that I thought was a friend, And I didn't know what he was becoming. But then he finished this phrase. As you can see, I took it very seriously. I wrote it in the very front of my Bible. This phrase he wrote at the end of my email. And he wrote this. Graham, I hope this is getting through to you. Well. I wrote him an email back. (laughs) 
And I didn't begin it with Dear John. I began it John Colon. And I continued down this path of writing a whole bunch of things that he was really not doing for me. And I finished it with, and I hope this is getting through to you. And I underlined you. Well, I thought this would be the end of this, and it wasn't, of course. This pastor friend of mine wrote me back an email, and he invited his friends. He invited a whole bunch of people to be a part of this conversation. He put them on the CC column. And it continued, and he didn't even sign that. And I didn't know exactly what was happening. Here was a person who was a friend, and now they're becoming an enemy. In fact, I've, I've learned there's a new word in the dictionary. It's frenemy. And apparently these are friends that have become enemies. And finally, I wrote an email back saying, I don't know what is happening here, but do what you feel needs to happen here. And it wasn't an apology, but I will talk about that in a moment. I've tried to figure out this process of what was happening in my life with this person. And as I've thought about it, it might be the same process that has happened with you, with that person that you struggle with, whether it be a a friend, a frenemy, a family member, a boss, some situation. There was this force field which was being developed between me and this other person. And this force field seemed to be composed of pride, right? How could he say that to me? And hurt feelings, gosh, I thought he was my friend. And confusion, where is he coming from? And anger, how dare he say that to me? And, you know, unhelpful communication, email, not always a good place to have these communications, and opposing priorities. And the Bible has another name for this. All of these things mixed together are our enemies. And what we're going to talk about today is how God has an opposite and opposing force that he has given to each of us, and it is four letters, and it is love. It is stronger than that other force. And I want to take a look at our text today, and the only way this message will really have any impact in your heart is if you really keep that person in mind that you're struggling with. Let's take a look at our text. We're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most difficult sermon texts Jesus ever preached. And I'm just laying it on you now. It is not going to be an easy message for many of us, myself included. Let's take a look at Matthew 5, 43-48. He begins this way, Jesus. You have heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. This was a phrase from Leviticus, but they said it different than Leviticus. They said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Email for an email. You get the picture. By the way, we have phrases in our society. We tend to put them on the back of cars. For example, I like this. If you can read this, I'm not impressed. Most people can read. Here's another one. If this sticker is blue, then you are driving too fast. It's kind of a physics one. This is kind of cute. My kid skateboards better than your honor student. That's in your face. This one's to the point. This is the back of my car. I like that. So that was a phrase back in the day. Hate your enemies and love your neighbors. But Jesus said this, I tell you something opposite. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Do something opposite from what your enemies do to you. Now, the word love is very confusing in our society. And so the word that Jesus uses here for love is not what you and I usually think of as love. The word is agape. And agape is complex, but this is essentially what agape is. Agape, number one, is God-given. It's something God gives us. We don't have it. Two, it's not about feelings. It's not about how I feel about whoever has done something to me. It's not about, you know, it's not about something that you can uh, 
outdo yourself, and this is the really deep situation, it is actually the glue. Agape is the glue that connects Jesus to the Father. People have asked me, how are Jesus and the Father connected? How is the Trinity connected? The glue is agape. This is deep theology. And what Jesus is saying is the same glue that binds the Father to the Son is the same glue that should bind you to the person you struggle with. He continues, Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be like the sons of your Father in heaven. That's what this means. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He, now, what he's really saying, Jesus is saying, just as I love people who are not really nice to me, just as I send sun to rise on evil and good and send rain on the righteous and unrighteous, just as I send rain on Tim Tebow and Tom Brady, I saw the game last night, and just as I send sun on Tim Tebow and Tom Brady, so should you as well. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? You know, one of Jesus' biggest tricks in ministry was loving tax collectors. See, what would happen is tax collectors would tax Jesus. This is what happened with Matthew. He taxed the disciples when they caught fish, and Jesus loved Matthew, and Matthew became a disciple. And, and Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus taxed the disciples when they came into Jericho, and Jesus loved Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus became a follower of Christ. He reversed that pattern. And if you greet only your brothers, he continues, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? People outside the church are nice to people who are nice to them. He's really saying that Christ followers, if you call yourself a Christian, this is, this is what we're supposed to do. We're a different group. We're supposed to love those who we struggle with. And he finishes this way, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, he doesn't mean be perfect. He, all, he knows that all of us are going to do things wrong. What he's really saying is, just as I have agaped the world, you should agape one another, even those who you struggle with. Heavy. It's tough. It is so hard. You see, this is so central because it's really, it means that coming to church every Sunday is not the central part of what we need to do as Christ followers. Giving, whatever God is calling us to give, is not the central part of being a Christ follower. That may be a reflection of it. But loving those we don't love is the central call. I've been trying to think about how to explain this, and I was thinking about this. My friend in Salt Lake City, Utah, a man named Dennis Madsen, owned a Ferrari Testarossa, one of the best cars in the world. Now, when I say that, I know that makes it sound like I have some highfalutin friends. I don't. But he didn't have a nice house. He didn't have a nice boat. He didn't have anything nice, but he wanted a Ferrari Testarossa. So Dennis Madsen bought a $100,000 Ferrari Testarossa. I don't know if you've ever seen a Ferrari, but it's an amazing car. I mean, it's almost always cherry red. It has those beautiful side vents that are just gorgeous. It has that amazing emblem on the hood, that black and yellow, that Testarossa on the very front of the car. It is an amazing car, but of course, it's not just the beauty of it. It's the, the way it drives. I've never driven one, but my friend Dennis said that the thing had seven gears. Seven. He said, first gear was anything below 40 miles an hour. That was first. Second gear was anything below 60 miles an hour. And third gear was anything below 100 miles an hour. And fourth gear was anything below 120. I said, well, what about fifth, sixth, and seventh? He said, I don't know. I've never gone there with the car. <laughs> but about a year after that, I asked Dennis, after he bought that car, how's it going? How do you like your, your Testarossa? He said, I, I don't like it. 
I hate that car. I said, well, what, what's the problem with it? He said, the car won't even start in the morning. I said, it won't start? You paid $100,000 for this. No, it doesn't, won't start. I, I try to start it, and the thing doesn't start, and it doesn't drive well at all. I said, well, did you take it to the fix-it guy? And he said, well, yeah, I've taken it to four or five dealers and specialists in this country, and no one can fix it. I have to ship this thing to Italy to get them to inspect it. So that's what he did. He shipped his car all the way to Italy and sent it out there. And a couple of months later, after inspecting it, he called up this Ferrari dealership, and he asked this Ferrari dealership, well, what, what's the problem with it? This guy says, there is nothing wrong with your car. Well, nothing wrong with my car? I am telling you, there is nothing wrong with your car. The car doesn't start. I know. You don't drive it. <laughs> Dennis said, I drive it five times a day. I drive that thing. No, you don't drive it. You need to drive that car. Fast. <laughs> so Dennis brought the car home. He took it down to Los Angeles where there was a speedway because you can't speed on the road and don't take this as a license for you to do it. But he drove that car 200 miles an hour one day for three or four hours. He took some lessons. The next morning, what happened with that car? Started right up. It did exactly what it was supposed to do. What Jesus is saying is you and I are testerosis. If you are a Christian, you are a special thing. And the way that that special thing is supposed to operate is you and I are supposed to love those we struggle with, to love our enemies. And if we don't, our car won't start. Our faith won't start. Our life won't start. Our being won't be. That's God's call to us today. Now, I realize this is heavy and hard. I realize that. And and I have five things I want to share with you. I don't think I've ever had a five-point message before, but... I want to talk about these things because they're important. Keep that person in your heart in mind that you are struggling with. And the first thing is this. The, the main mechanism to begin this agape process is forgiveness. So Jack and John uh, go to a church. They don't like each other at all. They're enemies. And uh, they always argue. They're older and uh, they always, one says yes, the other says no. The other says yes, the other says no. And one day Jack dies and goes to heaven. He's standing there and standing before Peter, and Peter's there at the gate, and Peter says, Hi, Jack, I know you're going to be here eventually, but I've got to ask you a question, and this is the word you need to spell to get into heaven. So Jack expects a really tough word, but he says the word is Jesus. <laughs> Jack says, Jesus? I can spell that. Well, just spell it, and you're in heaven. J-E-U-S-U-S, he said. Well, come on in. It's all yours. So Jack comes up, and Peter says, By the way, I've got a lot of errands to do. Would you just watch the gate for me for a while? And would you mind just asking people questions, any kind of like spelling questions to get into heaven? And Jack says, I think I can do that. Along comes John. John sees Jack and says, how did you get into this place? Jack says, no problem. I got into this place. Anyway, my job is working for Peter now, and I need to ask you a question to spell a word getting in. John says, if you spell the word, then I can spell the word. Well, says Jack, the word is this, Albuquerque. (laughs) All right. That was a lot funnier in the joke book. We need to work on this forgiveness stuff of the people we struggle with before we get to heaven. We need to do that. Now, the Bible actually doesn't have an actual word for forgiveness. It's interesting. There are two words that are often used interchangeably. One is metanoia, which literally means to turn. So that means the person in our life that we're struggling with, we need to begin to turn in our heart towards. 
And the second word is charis or gift. So that means we need to turn towards them and give them a gift. That's the first thing. Mechanism is forgiveness. And the mechanism for forgiveness, number two, is this. Saying, I'm sorry. I love the PowerPoint that one of our people, Matt, put together. And this PowerPoint just says, sorry. Actually, that's not what you want to say. Sorry. You want to say, I'm sorry. Would you say that with me? It's really, really hard to do with a person you struggle with, and it's good to get some practice with this. So let's begin this together. Let's say it together. One, two, three. I'm sorry. You did pretty well. Let's try it one more time. I'm sorry. I took a class from a professor recently, and I will tell you one of the best classes I have ever taken from David Augsburger, who wrote Caring Enough to Confront. That's another good sermon. He also wrote Helping People Forgive. And David Augsburger says, you know what happens with most people? Most people don't ask for an apology. Most people do one of two things. They either give an account or they acquiesce too much. So what is the account? An account would be me calling up John and saying, hi, John, it's Graham. And John says, hi, Graham. And then I would say, "Uh, by the way, the email you sent me, I sent you my email back because you sent me that email. So anyway, that's why I did that. That happens more often than not in our relationships. It happens in a marriage. Uh, By the way, the reason I was angry with you this morning is because you didn't take the garbage out last night, so that's why I was angry with you. That's why I was unkind to you. Is that an apology? No. Now, so that's the one tendency to give an account. The second tendency in our lives is to be too acquiescent. (laughs) John, 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 John. How can I ever come before you, my brother, and ask for something so high as forgiveness? That's actually generally looking more at you than it is that person. Forgiveness is a process which begins with, I'm sorry. And I know a lot of you are saying to yourself, well, I have someone in my life that I have never done anything to. They have done things to me. And so how am I supposed to say sorry to a person who has done really bad things to me? Well, here's the process. Here's one thing you can say. I'm sorry for not loving you the way God wants me to love you. Now, you may not say that. It may not help. But you may think that. I'm sorry for not loving you the way God made me love you. That's number two. Uh, Number three is this. Everybody needs forgiveness. And everybody needs to be forgiven. We live in a world that has all of these relationships that are blowing apart because there is this force that is separating people who need forgiveness. There's a famous story of a pastor by the name of Billy Joe Doherty, who is pastor of the Victory Christian Center in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He's preaching a sermon on the need to forgive, and someone in the middle of his message comes up. His name is Steve Rogers, and he punches Billy Joe Doherty in the nose. And then the ushers come and help Steve Rogers get out of the church. By the way, are our connection team ready to do that in case that ever happens with me? I'm just checking. I don't know if we went over that in our guidebook. But then by the end of this message, Billy Joe Doherty realizes he needs to actually offer forgiveness to this young man and not press charges against him. This is Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. We should never forget this is not just that. This is Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. He was a pastor. He was ordained in the Ebenezer Baptist Church at 18 years old. And Martin Luther King is a famous man because of the civil rights movement, but you know what he really is famous for? 
loving enemies. He gave his life for that. If you look at all of his writings, he grew up at a time and in a place where people had to sit at the back of buses, where people didn't have an opportunity to vote, where people had separate drinking fountains and separate places for them to live, where people were lynched and brothers and sisters who were just doing their best were not given basic love. Now, there was another man in this country by the name of Malcolm X. And Malcolm X held more to Leviticus or the Islamic Code, which is basically eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hate for hate. And Martin said, no, it is about loving your enemy. The only thing that can overcome that is love. Martin Luther King said it better than I ever could. He said this in a great speech that he once gave, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And do you know that message and that life that was given up for loving enemies has resounded in ripples around this world? It resounded in South Africa in 1990 during a time of apartheid, which was still forced segregation in Southern Africa. And there was a famous case where a woman who was a dear person living in Soweto had, had this policeman come into her house and take her teenage son and kill her teenage son and then burn his body and then party around that body as that body was being burned. And then a year later, they came into that same neighborhood and they took her husband and they took him out and the jurors before they killed him, they, he said to his wife as he's about to die, two words, forgive them. And they burned his body. Ten years later, they're in a courtroom after Nelson Mandela and has helped this country begin to recognize how to love those who hate those. And he is sitting, this woman is sitting across from the person who killed both of the people in her family. Now she can choose any sentence on these people she wants. And so the judge says, what are you going to do against this man named Vandebrook? She says, number one, I want this young man to take me to the place where my son and my my husband are dead, and I want you to show me that place so I can give them a good burial. Number two, I was made with a lot of love, and I got a lot of love still to give. And so I want you to make this young man come to my house twice a month so I can have him be the son that I no longer have. Number three, I want you to know, young man Vandebrook, I forgive you. And I want you to know God forgives you. And with that, she stopped down from the trial seat up there and she walked out to give Vandebrook a hug. And the whole courtroom erupted with, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And as she's about to hug Vandebrook, he faints. Forgiveness is powerful. Love, agape, is the most powerful force in the world. And God is giving it to us. And he's saying this is the definition of who you are. And the other thing that we need to remember, number four, is this, that forgiveness is a process. It's a process that we can't force. It's a process that we need to give to God. As I loved what Garrett said and and Caleb said, this is something that the Holy Spirit needs to work in our lives in. Famous illustration of Missionaries in Burma would be walking through the jungle and they would find leeches on their legs and they'd be about to pull off the leeches. And then the locals would say, don't pull them off. Go home and have the waters of balsam. Work on those leeches and they will fall off. 
We saw two baptisms today. And the best definition I have of baptism is a working of the Holy Spirit through waters which help the leeches of our lives begin to fall off. The last thing is this, and I don't mean to be glib about this. This takes God's act in our lives. This is something we cannot do on our own. I realized this last week that I really, I really can't preach this sermon without at least trying to live into this thing that God is calling me to do and you to do. So last night I called up John. And I worked on my talk beforehand. I was going to say, Dear John, I am sorry. I have no excuse for what I did. And I want to take responsibility for that. And let's get together. I had this whole talk planned in my head. I called him up last night, and I heard this very severe voice, Hello? And there was a long pause, and then it said, Please leave a message. I hung up. And that's what I said after my message this morning. But however, between the first service and the second service today, I realized that's not good enough. So I called up John between services. John is, of course, preaching. But I said, John, I am sorry on a voicemail. And I want to work on whatever we can do to work on. Now, that's not good enough either. God wants me to be face to face with John. But I'll tell you what it's beginning to do in my life. It's changing me. I was this angry and upset person who I feel, I feel lighter now. And God wants us to be lighter too because when God says forgive your enemies, he's really not saying it for your enemies. God will deal with our enemies. He's saying it so that we don't bear that burden. We can't be God. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we come before you, each of us, laying that person that we struggle with at your feet. Lord, I ask that you would give us powers beyond our own to begin this metanoia gift process of giving them something they don't deserve. And we realize that as we try and pray that you will help us do this, we pray and know that you did that for us on a cross, that you did something for us that we don't deserve. And we can never forgive you or for, thank you for that. We can never forgive ourselves enough for that. So we just thank you in God's name for what you did on a cross. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This has been a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org.